0: listeners, and welcome to another episode of Curator's Choice, the podcast for history nerds and museum lovers. That's purely conjecture, but it's my podcast, so I can say what I want. I'm your host, Ayla Anderson, and today we are going to be back in Maryland at the Chesapeake Beach Railway Museum. Chesapeake Beach was meant to be the vacation destination for workers up in D.C., and there were grandiose plans of spectacular hotels and gambling and Vegas esque shows, a huge pier with a carousel and photo booths, and a yacht club with a huge lake to be created from scratch. The reality, though, was not quite so grand. But thanks to the Donovan family, the original 1898 train depot still survives, and it serves as the home for the Chesapeake Beach Railway Museum. And from there, we're going to hear from Kristen DeGrace, as she shares with us the incredible dream behind this tourist paradise, and some bits about Slim Jones, who was buried alive to make a living during the Great Depression, and about a railway that was trying to stay relevant in a changing world. Thank you so much for listening, and don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Instagram. And you can also see pictures and pertinent links from today's episode in the show notes or at CuratorsChoicePodcast.com. So let's jump right in and hear from Kristen. So what is the story of this museum? I mean, I know that you know trains are obviously super important, but it seems like there is like a serious history here.
1: So it's funny because while I do love the trains, I love the story that the trains, you know, bring in, sort of. So, okay, so this place, is in the early 1890s, an organization came together and decided they were going to make a train from, it was from D.C. to here. And they, I mean, they did a lot of work. I think they did a lot of the right-of-way. They did, um, like, a lot of the deeds for the right-of-way. And no track was ever laid. But then, mismanagement, and I'm not exactly sure what happened with them, but that company went went under... And then 1896, another company came in, which was the Chesapeake Beach Railway, which is who we are, and they made it happen. It was, that was, yeah, Chesapeake Beach was built kind of, I mean, it and the railway, they just meshed together. They were built for each other. Okay. Like, this was a destination point for the, for D.C., and then we also had steamboats come, which was another thing from like, from Baltimore. I mean, this was a destination point. This was, it was not like a thoroughfare to get somewhere else. It was, you go from D.C. to here. And, and then you back. stay here. <laughs> yeah, you, come for, you can come for the day they were you know advertising as that, come for the week, come for the summer, that kind of a thing. And initially, it was initially, so once that other company went under, the Chesapeake Beach Railway, those founders, they had envisioned it to be like this big, it was going to be a gambling hub, it was going to be for the high rollers. And actually, in one of the articles I found, an old newspaper article, it was not for Calvert County residents. It was for high rollers, and they advertised across the country I think they were trying to get investors is my, mm. my, what I'm thinking it was, you know, just to get people to come in and to invest in this and come. And there was a huge, in 1900, they built this beautiful, it was a clubhouse. It was like this lavish, extravagant, and they, they go into great detail about what was inside of it. Some of the articles do. It was going to be, you know, roulette and pharaoh, which was this, I guess, a high, a quick card game. And it was and it was in connection. It was a members-only clubhouse to go hand in hand with a racetrack that was built just around the corner. And they built all this stuff. So they built the the clubhouse, they built the racetrack with the grandstands, and it was huge. So it was built, but no horses ever ran, which is, it, it just blows my mind how how much money was put into the idea of this great extravagant, you know, hotels and this, and you know, and all this stuff, things were built, but they had to really shift gears and. Yeah. Oh wow.
0: So yeah. So this all kind of culminated in there were a few buildings that were created, like the race track, never actually used as a racetrack. Then you have this nice big hotel which was already around, but they were investing a lot of money to try to make us a tourist hub. And their plans obviously didn't work out because it didn't become that. How does that lead to you guys having a
1: museum here now? Well they also so one thing they did have, so while they didn't it didn't turn out the way they had planned it, they did build a boardwalk out over the water. And early on, they had, you know, they had roller coaster. It was the scenic railway at the time, which is actually right behind you. That's the scenic railway. Oh, yeah. They did a band shell. They had dancing, you know, a dance hall. So that was the draw. Like, that was the seaside resort. So even though it didn't become the gambling hub, they wanted it. It was still It successful. was still a destination and a fun place to be. So you had, you know, you had the beach and the bathing. You had the scenic railway, some amusements. They had the carousel. And that was out over the water, which is a huge, that was a huge draw. The boardwalk was, they say it was a mile long, I mean it was a mile long pier out for the steamboat. But anyway, it was like, it was this long boardwalk that had all these amusements on it. It had a photo booth It had, I mean, just all these things that you would expect, like at, like, say, Ocean City. Yeah, yeah. Like now at Ocean City, you know? So it's it was a, definitely a draw, especially then. Did the
0: railroads end there? Like, was the tracks that led to this place, did it end? Or did it continue on somewhere else? Was this the oh, only no, destination?
1: This is it. I'm wow. sorry. And so, yeah, so that's why, like, so this museum, and this is the original location, the original building, and oh, it's wow. the last remaining one that, you know, of the railway. And so this was, you know, people would come here, they would you know get off the train, head and off. And then to, just go down to the yeah, dock. Like, there were lots of groves and like shady picnic areas. And that was they were really that was the draw to this area. And you so you have a picture,
0: or well not a picture, but one of the original brochures. Yes. And was that from the railroad created the brochure?
1: Yes. Yeah. So
0: tell us tell us for people who, who can't see it right now, what yeah. is on this brochure?
1: So it is a grandiose <laughs> brochure of the layout, the proposed layout of the town. It has a racetrack on the right-hand side, which, like I said, was built. But, you know, it's just showing what this could be. Mm -hmm. And that's what the brochure shows. It's trying to sell you, buy a cottage here. This is the cool place to be. Didn't they have, um, there's a big water feature too? Oh, so that was also part of the big grandiose plan. We are right off Fishing Creek, which is a small little, it's not a huge thing, but they were going to dredge that out and make a Lake Moffat, which was going to be the place where all the yachts they were expecting yachts to come here, which is, again, a very grandiose plan for Fishing Creek. Anyone who knows Fishing Creek, it's, it's a pretty narrow channel. It's just it's a, a tiny little... It's a creek.
0: <laughs> so they were going to oh, dredge nature. that out so that, that yachts could get there and then make a huge lake for them to hang out
1: on? That never came to fruition as far as how, like, how they were going to do it, but they did straighten Fishing Creek for the railway. They did straighten because it was a meandering thing. and Well, that's great at, for erosion control. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and actually what they did was when they dredged it, and they put a lot of that the dredged material over where the racetrack was built. To, and they said that, that would be a springy material for the races for the horses to run. So it wasn't the success they wanted, but it was right. still
0: partially successful. There was yes. a lot of things going on and around this area. Um, and I mean even now it looks like outside when I came in, there's all kinds of construction happening and there's still all kinds of touristy fun things to do here. But I think that none of the attractions are going to be as fun as randomly burying yourself alive. <laughs> so uh, when when did that happen? It happened here, so and it that, was a, it was an entertainment device for people who were visiting back in the day. Here,
1: so so from 1900 to 1930, like our little area has three chapters the way I look at it. So 1900 to 1930 was Chesapeake Beach Resort. That was kind of like the old like the boardwalk on the water. Mm. That was those kind of things. 1930, Seaside Park comes in. And that was when things moved on land. Okay. So the boardwalk was too much upkeep. And it was, you know, we were hitting the depression. So a lot of things were happening then. So in 1930, things came on land. And that was Seaside Park. So 1930 to 42 was that time. And that's when Slim Jones, he had this, it was a a, a, a stunt he wanted to do. Apparently it was a thing. And he chose Chesa- uh, Chesapeake Beach, Seaside Park, to bury himself alive. And you go, like, literally, you go six feet under, and it became a thing. People remember, like, gives there was a tube, you would look down, because he would have a tube, and you could see his face. And that's how it's... And he's six feet under. Apparently, a doctor would visit him and lower down a thermometer to him. He would take his temperature. He'd chat with him, make sure he's doing okay down there. I guess lower liquid food, apparently. Um... Oh, yeah. this is, I mean, it sounds cool, but it's also sounding quite putrid. Yes, I can't imagine. I don't, How long I, was he down there? He was there for two weeks. And then later on, he did it not here, but 70 days, apparently, in other places. One of his, in one of the articles, one of his answers was, well, it was the Depression. He didn't have a job. He said, so the longer I stay under, the longer so I got a job. So Kristen showed me two of the advertisement posters for Slim Jones,
0: and I wanted to read them to you just really quick. The first one says, Sensational attraction at Seaside, Chesapeake Beach, Maryland. Slim Jones will be buried alive on Saturday, August 23rd at 9pm and will remain buried for 10 days. Don't fail to see this unusual feature at Seaside. And the second poster, it reads really similarly, except it adds, Still underground, talk to him and have him tell you how it feels to be buried six feet under the earth. For fun, pleasure, picnic groves that are shady and pleasant, plenty of tables, rides that thrill young and old, saltwater swimming pool, no nettles, etc. I think that kind of gives you a bit of a reference for the party that was advertised as this fantastic tourist weekend destination in Chesapeake Bay. Okay, let's get back to Kristen.
1: And I'm sure that Seaside Park, it was a draw. So I'm not sure if they charged anyone, but at least it was a draw to get people here. Because I'm sure numbers were dwindling here as well. You know, Mm -hmm. so everyone was kind of hurting during the Depression. So that was kind of, it was kind of like a win-win, I guess, for Slim and for Seaside Park. (laughs) It
0: sounds like it's one of those situations where they're desperate and they need money. I think so. So, You know, up at Niagara Falls, the first woman, Taylor, to go over the bridge or over the waterfalls, she did so because she was a widow who was broke. So she she made this get-rich-quick scheme where she would be in the barrel and go over the falls, and then she would tour the U.S., when people could pay to see her and take a picture with her, with her barrel. Oh my gosh! It, di- it didn't work out for her. I'll just say that. But it's really similar to what it sounds like it's, this guy was doing. I think it's, it was. Desperation. He just didn't. Yeah, it was just desperation. So yeah. he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to not easily, but I'm just going to sit in a box for a while and get paid. Yeah. And his. You guys just have a lot of stuff in your archive too about just special editions that show how involved the Chesapeake Railway was in life in this area. Like for example, you you showed me another little newspaper clipping that had to do with, was it, it was a march?
1: Yes, so it was the Suffrage March. In 1913, it was March, March 3rd and 4th, I think, of 1913. And it was when Woodrow Wilson was being inaugurated. And it was Alice Paul, Lucy Burns, like it was their organization. Um, It was the Women's Suffrage, but it was, their particular group really was instrumental in getting the right for women to vote. And they organized this big march down in D.C., And the railway, because I'm not sure if they were in favor of suffrage, but it certainly was a business opportunity for them. So they offered discounted rates for people, for women who wanted to go, or men too, but who wanted to go to the inauguration and be a part of the inauguration or the suffrage march, which was, and we have a little ad from that, which is I think pretty cool. Like that was, as far as I look at it, Chesapeake Beach playing its part. We also have Lucy Burns, who was again, very instrumental in getting the right to vote for women. She was scheduled to do, have a debate in 1913 with Alabama Congressman Heflin, Heflin, I think. But they're gonna have a debate about suffrage. He never showed up. And there's more about that in the articles. But, and while she didn't show up either, I don't think. I mean, I think she probably because he bailed out, she didn't show up either. But other people did, other women did come. And this was a destination point for also women's suffrage. Like they had, you know, they would have suffrage days here at the beach. And they'd camp out for shores and have speeches. And that was throughout like 1913, 15, 16. And it's cool that that again, Chesty Beach playing its part. And it was it was a place to have those events, which is very cool, I think. How does that compare to this area now? So it's changed now. So as far as the three chapters that we were, so it was Chesty Beach Resort at the beginning, 1900 to mm-hmm. 1930. 1930 to 42 was Seaside Park. And in 1935, in the middle of there, 1935, the last train pulls out of Chesapeake Beach, and that's when the train goes away. And then there was a lull. During World War II, this was a lull. And then in 1945, it opens again at Chesapeake Beach Park. Um, the Rod and Reel opens, and that goes to 1972, as far as like a Chesapeake Beach Park, which is a whole like each each chapter has its own kind of special. Thing that marks its difference. Mm-hmm. And as far as where we are now, it's just, it keeps growing. So I'm not sure there are, as far as the destination point, as far as for like big events like that, like mm-hmm. suffrage, you know, <laughs> marches of, or things yeah. of, that, of that sort. It's a very growing and dynamic community still.
0: So do you guys have, I see that outside there was a, a, a large train.
1: So that's the Dolores. That's a parlor car. Okay. So that was one, that's one of the last known rolling stock left of the Chesapeake Beach Railway. It was built in 1898 um, by the St. Charles Car Company, and that's actually only half the car. There are no seats in there, but it's kind of like one of those half-object, not object. and we're hoping to, you know, renovate that or refurbish it as as we can yeah so so it is kind of a small museum but I keep saying that smaller
0: museums are oftentimes my favorite because you really have to pack as much in as you can and really be smart with your space (laughs) yes and I mean you guys have some really awesome stuff I saw like a swimsuit display from you know back in the day and everything I thought that was really cool you do have one of the carousel pieces it looks like a it looks like a hybrid between a horse and a rabbit. I don't think it was supposed can- to look that way. It's <laughs> a kangaroo? Oh my goodness! Okay, well, so you know, well, kangaroos aren't gray. In yeah. my defense, <laughs> but so you have a lot of really fun things. But then also, there was this really tiny little chair um, that you showed me that has a little bit of a, of a, of a wonky history too. Oh,
1: it is so sweet. That was one of our um, so one of our longtime volunteers, Janet Bates. She was, she's 96 today, or not today, but you know,
0: nowadays, nowadays
1: here. (laughs) And then she donated this chair, so it's a wooden chair that she, she actually rode the train, the train, keep in mind, the train stopped in 1935, but in 1929, she and her grandmother would ride the train here and she would have, they had a cottage over there. It was like, it's in Holland Point, which is kind of like North Chesapeake Beach. That's what it was called then. And they would walk because apparently the, they used, we used to have a trolley that would go between. But it was often, as Janet would say, it didn't work. It was often out of commission. So they would have to walk. It's a good maybe mile, two miles. And so for her little five-year-old legs, that was a long walk. And so Janet and her grandmother, who she called Dalwa, they would walk. And that was her resting spot. Like that was for her, you know, her little five-year-old. She'd have her little cardboard uh, suitcase, she said. And her her grandmother would set the chair up, it would unfold it. Janet would get to sit down and rest for a little bit. Then they would, you know, keep on walking until their destination, which was their cottage. And and she still lives in that cottage today. Oh, wow. And people, I mean, really love... It is a small museum. People love this museum and the story. And it's a really special place. But thank you so much for telling us about the I Did I
0: didn't even know that this place existed oh, <laughs> and so-, <laughs> so this has been great because now i have this amazing history of what this area used to be
1: thank you for coming so glad you came
0: thank you so much for listening and giving your support to this podcast every download is appreciated and if you like what you're hearing share it with a friend For our next episode, which will air on April 19th, we'll be meeting with Robert Hicks, who was the director at the Mütter Museum in Philadelphia. Join us as we talk about the macabre collection of the College of Physicians. And new episodes are published every first and third Tuesday of the month. And a bonus episode is posted each month for Patreon supporters. If you would like to access these episodes by becoming a patron of the show, please visit patreon.com CuratorsChoice. For March's bonus episode, we were back at Fort Niagara speaking with Derek Schultz, a historic interpreter who shares with us the importance of the muskrat at the fort and how it functions, why it was one of the most reliable muskets, and how they were used strategically on the battlefield.